this morning the music is always good but it made me cry today twice so uh it hurt in the first service and the second one um all right take your bibles and turn to first uh, john chapter 4 verse 12 first john chapter 4 verse 12 I want us to think for a few minutes this morning about seeing the invisible God. There are many things in life that we can't see with our physical eyes, but we know they're there from, uh, from what they do, from the impact of them. And uh, just two things will be good to illustrate it. One is gravity. We can't see gravity, um, but you sure know it's there. If you jump off the top of this building, um, I guarantee you'll hit the ground unless you're a bird and you flap your wings. Uh, uh, so gravity, it's evident. Uh, it says the tradition is that Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton was sitting there an apple tree and an apple fell and that led him to come up with all the uh, theories of gravity and the planets and gravitational force. So God created gravity. It's applicable in life. It's functioning and we know it's there from what we see. We can't see it. Uh, but we can feel it and we can observe what it does. Another, another thing that's invisible, but yet we know it's there from what we observe, what it does, and we feel it is wind. We can't see the wind, but if you rake your yard in the fall and the wind's blowing hard, it blows your pile of leaves away. You have to re-rake them. You see the impact of the wind. It, it blows and the trees move and you can feel it on your face and you can see the effect of it. And particularly around here, in hurricane season, we see the impact of wind most painfully, but we can't see it, but we know it's there. We can't see it, but we feel it, and it impacts our lives. And, and listen, here's the important part. Though we can't see gravity and we can't see the wind, we, we know what its force does, and we recognize its existence because of what we see. God is the same way. The Bible says that no one can see God because he's spirit. Nobody can see him uh, in fact, we'll see in a moment, Moses wanted to see God and he couldn't. But yet we know God's there and there's proof. Uh, in the world today, people like, it's become kind of, of schick to, de to, to deny God and to uh, be an agnostic or an atheist. But listen, uh, it is the height of foolishness to ignore the overwhelming evidence of God's existence. So John says today the world can see God through what he does, particularly what he does through us. Look at verses 12 and 13 as we begin our thoughts, seeing the invisible God. John said, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we, are, we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John begins by saying nobody has seen God. Nobody can visibly see God. In Exodus 33, Moses was in the process of going up and down the mountain, getting the law for Israel, and Israel failed. And Moses had a relationship with God that was unique, probably most unique. You don't see any others like it in the Bible. Moses had such an intimate relationship with God that God often spoke to Moses right out of heaven, would speak to him. Uh, you don't find that much in the Bible. And of course, we know God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and then uh, God allowed Moses, gave him the ability to do the plagues on Egypt. And so God had this intimate relationship with Moses. And Moses so desired to see God that he asked God one time uh, in Exodus 33, he said, God, can I just see your glory? Can I just see you? 
uh, he wanted desperately to see God. And God's answer in Exodus thirty three twenty was, you cannot see my face. And God went on to say, for no man shall see me and live. Now the reason for that is very simple. God in his essence is so perfect and holy and righteous in us and our sinfulness that it would kill us. We, couldn't, we can't see God and live in this human form. Now here's the good news, if you're saved, one day you're gonna get a resurrection body that's not hindered by sin and we can see God all day long and for all eternity. But you can't see him right now uh, because it would kill us. Now, <clears throat> we tie that to the fact that there's an evidence that God exists even though we can't see him. There's overwhelming evidence of what he does in the world and John gives us two of those things in verses, four, uh, in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12 again. He says, no one has seen God at any time. Now watch this, he said, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. For several weeks in this study and in, in this epistle, uh, John's been talking about love. Last week he said, God is love. Now remember we pointed out last week, that does just, doesn't just mean that God expresses love or that God gives love, it means that in his essence, he is love. And we pointed out last week that the fact that God is love in his essence explains a lot of what he's done in the world, explains creation. Why would God create? We pointed out the fact that, that love, love desires to express itself. Love desires to lavish itself on, on someone. And so God created humanity in his image and he loves us. He is love and he loves us with a passion. He loves us so much that he made a way for us to be saved and redeemed from our sin. Uh, but the fact is, how does the world see that love? Now we know that love because we're saved. We, we know that God loves us because we're born again, we read it in the Bible, and God has demonstrated it in our lives. But how does the world out there see the evidence of the invisible God, and the answer is in the way we love them. It is in the way we love one another, and the way we love them. When the world looks at us, and they see a, they see a local congregation, or, or the church worldwide, and God saves men and women out of every tongue and tribe in the nation and from every background and every education, every economic socio status, God saves people. He's no respecter of persons and he saves anybody who will come and he puts us in the body of Christ. And so we come together and we worship and the world looks at us and says, how is it that they like one another? How is it that they love one another? How is it that they encourage one another? And what they see is the love of God demonstrated in our lives for one another. Now, how do they see the love of God out there in the world? Well, they see it in, the, in, our, in our interaction with them and that we love them and that we demonstrate to them the love of God created in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we like to measure love this way. And let me make sure we understand. In the world, we think, we think we've done a good job. We go to somewhere, we, we meet someone and we say good morning and they say good morning back to us and we have a lovely conversation and we go away feeling all good in our heart. Man, I've showed them the love of Jesus today. No, that's not the test. The test is when you go in and Mr. or Miss Grumpy is rude and they don't say good morning and they don't say anything and then they make you wait longer than you should have to wait and they don't give you what you wanted or they give you the wrong thing and then you love them like Jesus, you get an A for today because now you've, now you've passed the test. See, and, and that demonstrates God to the world because then the world says, I don't understand how you give love and kindness for meanness. I don't understand how you reciprocate kindness and mercy and grace when you've not received kindness and mercy and grace. See, in our flesh, we like to give in kind, don't we? If someone's nice to me, I, I'm nice back. If someone's mean to me, I double up on them, right? I mean, that's the flesh. But in, in Jesus, 
the way it works is no matter what the world does, we demonstrate the love of Christ. Now understand, we can't do that in the flesh. It's impossible to do that in the flesh. No, my flesh wants to be human. When someone's mean to me, I wanna give it back to them. But the love of Jesus in us says, no, <clears throat> you show them the love of God. Why should we do that? Because we've all been disrespectful to God. We've all broken his laws. We've all offended God. We've offended his holy name. And yet God loves us anyway. And so that's what the world needs to see. And what John is simply saying here is this. He's saying, look, the way the world is gonna see the invisible God is in us, in the way we live, in the way we respond to them, in the way we interact with them. And it is impossible to do that without a relationship with God. It's impossible to do that without being saved. Now he says here that the love of God is perfected in us. The word perfected there in the Greek means to have achieved something or accomplished something. It is when the love of God is accomplished or achieved in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit that the world then sees God. They see that invisible God fleshed out, lived out in our lives. Now again, where we live every day in our flesh, in, in the fight of this world, the spirit and the flesh war all the time. And it is, it is necessary that we be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and that he produce that love in us because we can't produce it. And you say, well, pastor, it's hard to do that perfectly. Yes, it is. But what it should be is it should be the habit of our life to love like Jesus and it should be the exception of the rule when we operate in the flesh. Now, I would say to those who are watching online, if you're here this morning, if, if it is the habit of your life to live in the flesh and not in the spirit, I would suggest you either examine your salvation, Paul said, examine yourselves and be sure you're in the faith, or I would examine where you are with Christ in your Christian walk because it is the love of God that demonstrates. Secondly, Paul said, not, uh, Paul, John said, not only is it the love of God that through us that reveals the invisible God, but he said it is also the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 13. He said, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. The word abide is an interesting word. He said, one of the ways that we know we're saved and one of the ways the world sees the invisible God is through the work of the Holy Spirit in us in all areas of our lives. And he said, it is that we abide in him. Now abide means to dwell somewhere. It means to dwell in it. As Christians, we are to abide in Christ. That means dwell in his word, dwell in and contemplating him and knowing him in prayer. And I illustrate it this way. It's amazing the things that people uh, give themselves to, and we'll call them habits, okay? Every, it, habits or hobbies. But everybody might have hobbies. So I meet people sometimes and they are sports fanatics. You ever meet anybody like that? I mean, they'll say to me, do you, do you remember in 1966, the quarterback of this team? And I'm like, no, I don't remember that. And why would you even wanna know that? Why, what, 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 what purpose, why you use brain cells to know that? I don't understand. But listen, a person who does that, what has happened? They've abide, they abide in that thing and they know all about it. They abide in it, it's there. Some people do it with recreation, fishing, sports, golf, whatever it is, but they abide in that thing. Now listen, having hobbies and, and having, having things that you like to do or things that you just like to know about, there's nothing wrong with that. But we should really, as Christians, abide in Christ. We should abide in knowing Him and studying the Bible and reading the Bible and so that when we talk to people, instead of talking about football or fishing or sports or guns, which are all fine, I do all, I've done all that stuff. But when you meet somebody, you can say, hey, do you know what Jesus said about how much he loves you? That's the stuff you wanna talk about. 
That's the stuff you want to meet people. And, and, and when you abide in Christ, that's what's going to come out. And do you see what John's saying here? When the Holy Spirit is in us and we abide in Christ, then they see Jesus. They see him in us. And they see him in us in the way we talk and the things that we do. So he says here, he says, by this we know. Let me give you, let me get, listen, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in you permanently. God lives in you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are, and I'm just gonna give you four things that the Holy Spirit does for us that exemplifies or points the world to the real living God that they can't see, okay? And four things that helps us and helps the world. And these are important, so I want you to listen very carefully. Number one, the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, is the earnest of our redemption. Now what that means, he's the down payment. You understand that when you got saved, the day you prayed to receive Christ, God's not done with you yet. Amen, right? God's not done with us yet. He began the process, he forgave our sins, our eternal life in Jesus Christ is as good today as it will be a million years from now. But we are not all that God intends for us to be. We're gonna get a new body one day and we're gonna be removed from even the presence of sin. God's not finished with us. So the Holy Spirit coming to live in us is a down payment. It's a, it's a guarantee that God saved us and he's gonna finish what he said he's gonna do. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with us being a testimony to the world? Well, listen, that's confidence. When the Holy Spirit lives in me, I can confidently tell people about Jesus Christ because he's real. And I can confidently tell people about Jesus Christ and about heaven and about hell and about being saved because I know it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in me and it's real to me. Here's something that's true in life. If you're not sold on something, you're not gonna sell anybody else on it. If it's not real to you, you can't talk to somebody else about it being real. One of the things I've never been in my life is a salesman. I'm not a salesman. I, you know, I couldn't be a salesman, selling whatever. I guess I could if I really liked the thing, if whatever the thing was I was selling, if I really liked it, but I couldn't be a salesman because I'm not that committed pretty much about anything other than Jesus. So I guess that's why I'm a preacher, I don't know. But you can't share, you can't, you can't really be effective in demonstrating the reality of the living God if the Holy Spirit's not in us, and when he is, then it makes it real for us. He's the, the earnest, the guarantee of our salvation. Secondly, the Bible says the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is an internal testimony to us. In other words, he testifies to us that we're really saved. He, he confirms to our own hearts. Paul said this in Romans eight sixteen: The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. All throughout my life, ever since I got saved, the Holy Spirit is in my heart testifying to me uh, of the reality of my, of my salvation. He convicts me about sin. He moves me toward holiness. He helps me understand the Bible. And I can see that in my life. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to go out and share and show people the invisible God, to be a testimony to them. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see in your own life, in your own convictions, in the own way that he teaches you and, and moves you in your heart toward God, the reality of your salvation? I said earlier this morning, listen, if you ever see the Holy Spirit convicting you over sin or over choices and things that you do, you need to examine your salvation because a child of God is always in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Thirdly, the third way the world sees the invisible God in us by the Holy Spirit is through the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23, listen to the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The very first thing on that list is love. The Holy Spirit produces love in us for others. It produces all these things, joy and peace and long-suffering. It is the evidence of God conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ when he produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. The fruit of the Spirit makes us look like Jesus. So the world can't see the invisible God, but they can see him in us. They can see him in us in the way we live. Can you be patient in, in the power of the flesh? No. Can you be long-suffering, which means being patient in the face of provocation? I can't. I get irritated at a fast food restaurant when it ain't fast food. It says fast food, and it took me 20 minutes to get my cheeseburger. What is wrong with this place? We went into a, Sherry and I, one day she goes, let's go through this drive-thru and get a drink. I kid you not, I shouldn't even have brought this up. I kid you not, nobody's in the drive-thru. Nobody. I'm thinking, great, this will take like two minutes. First, I get up to the box and it says, our box is broke, you have to come to the window. So I drive up to the window and they're busy. I don't know why there's nobody there, but they're busy. She says, how can I help you? I give my order. It takes forever. Long suffering, patience, <laughs> right? Listen, now, good example because when she opens that little window up again, I can let her have it, right? I mean, that's your option. Make sure she gives you your food first. But you can then you can let her have it, right? Or, or, you can, or you can show them Jesus, the invisible God they don't see by you know, being kind and patient and loving. And the Holy Spirit's the only one who can do that. The fruit of the Spirit, surrender to Him, showing them the invisible God so that, and listen, somebody might ask you, I had a guy one time, true story, we were moving from here to Virginia. The Navy was moving us, yikes. So they put all our stuff in his truck and we get there and they open the side of the truck at your place where you're staying, right? They open it up and we look in there and our bed had these, had past tense, had these post things that stuck up on them. And when you open the side of the truck, the mattress and all's on it and all the posts are broken and, and laying down. And that was just the beginning. And so at the end of the day, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm taking inventory, writing down everything's broke, you know, and I'm mumbling to myself. And this guy unloaded all my commentaries because even before I was a preacher, I studied, I studied a lot and I had shelves of books. And so this guy's unloading the boxes off the truck. And he looks at me and he goes, you must be a preacher. I said, no, I'm in the Navy. And he goes, well, we broke all this stuff and you didn't yell at us yet. <laughs> I mean, honest, that's exactly what he said. We broke all this stuff and you didn't yell at us yet. And I said, well, I thought about it. But uh, anyway, God, listen, that wasn't me, trust me. But that's exactly what John's saying right here. The fruit of the Spirit allows them to see something other than what they expect. And when they see something other than they expect, you say, oh, listen, that ain't me because I want to yell at you, trust me. But that's God. And that's God telling me to be kind, even in this situation, okay? And the last thing is this, the Holy Spirit. How does the world see? Because they see us be different. You know what the Holy Spirit does in your life, number four and in mine? He's a moral compass. He's a moral compass. The, world, the world's messed up today. 
The world says wrong is right and right is wrong. And I, and I said this morning, I pray every day, God, come today and rapture the church. And I have two reasons for praying that. Number one, I just think it would really be cool to get raptured. I mean, I, I, you know, that whole change in a moment and the twinkling of an eye thing, I really want that to happen. Whether or not it does, I don't know, it's up to God, but I, re I really think it would be cool. But secondly, and more importantly, the only, the only repair, the only fix, the only correction for what's wrong in this world is Jesus. He's the only one that can come and, and, and correct sin and bring in his kingdom where there'll be perfect righteousness and holiness and things will be like it's supposed to be. And so I want him to come and do that. Now he's waiting and it's his business, but I pray for him to do it every day. The Holy Spirit in the meantime is that compass in our lives. There are things in the Bible that are non-negotiable. We don't have to discuss uh, moral aspects of sexuality because God spells out how it's supposed to be. We don't have to talk about marriage. We don't have to talk about homosexuality because it's clearly, we don't have to, we can talk about it, but there's no argument about whether it's right or wrong. God's already determined that. We don't have to talk about lying and cheating and stealing and, and the thing. We don't have to talk about those things because God said so. Now, but there are a lot of things in the Christian life that that, are, that are, are not so clearly spelled out. And the Bible says when we get saved, we're no longer under the law. We've been set free from the law. But here's what we need to understand. There are some things in life that are, as Paul would say, that are legal for me, but they're not expedient, meaning they're not the best thing for me to do. They're not what I ought to be doing by the testimony of Jesus Christ. And how do you know that? The Holy Spirit convicts you about it. And in those personal things, they're your convictions. And they're the Holy Spirit dealing with your heart about what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. There are things in life that I have freedom to do as a Christian uh, that I could do uh, legally because God doesn't say for me not to do it. But because God's called me to be a pastor and because God's called me to minister to young people and people of all ages and to preach God's word, there, as Paul said, there are things that I bring myself under subjection and I willingly limit some things in my life for the benefit of others. And that's not wrong. In fact, it's my conviction and the Holy Spirit moves me to do it. Now, I don't have a right to tell you you ought to do what I do because maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you about that. But for me, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And he does it for you where you are. Now, why is that important? Because when the world looks at you in the workplace, where you work or in school or wherever you go at a shopping center, and they go, man, there's something different about you. You don't, why, you don't do these things. Why don't you do these things? And why do you go to church all the time? And why do you do the things that you do? Well, you can say, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. And you now are revealing to them the invisible God that they can't see. You are what they see. You are the God they see. Now, Again, is there any evidence in your life? Is there any, any evidence that God's working in your life and working those things out? Does God convict you about things? Is God moving you? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I know it's imperfect. It is in all of us. But does God move in your heart to love and be, and be joyful and patient and kind and long-suffering? Does God move you to do those things? If you don't see the work of God in your life and you don't see the Holy Spirit, there is a danger there's a danger you could just be religious. There's a danger you could just be connected to Christianity by name only. Are you really, really a follower of Christ? Do you know him? Have you been saved? And is God making a difference in your life? Now the last thing John said here, he said uh, they see the invisible God by, by love, by God's love in us. They see the invisible God by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And then thirdly here, beginning in verses 14 and 15, he says, I'm going to give a, he says, I'm going to give an apostolic testimony about the reality of God. Look at verse 14 and 15. 
He said, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now here's what John's saying. He said, you can see God, the Father, through love that he creates in us. You can see him through the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit creates in us for the world to see. And then John said, but I'm gonna tell you, we, meaning himself and the other apostles, he said the clearest revelation of God the Father is in his Son. He sent Jesus Christ, who is the full manifestation of God. If you wanna know what God looks like, look at Jesus. You wanna know how God acts, look at Jesus. You wanna know how we ought to act, look at Jesus. He's the epitome, he's the full manifestation of the Father. In fact, in John 14, nine, Jesus said to his disciples, his apostles, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, because that's true, listen to what John says. He says, we have seen him and we testify to the reality of Jesus Christ. If you go back to chapter one of this letter, chapter one, verses one through three, listen to what John said as he introduced this letter to the church, to the Christians. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, means revealed. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was from the, with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John said, look, we can testify of the living God because we saw him, we listened to him, we touched him, we heard him teach. We saw him in his humanity, in his incarnation. So he gives testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ. Listen, as you and I know Jesus, we can show him to other people. As we are, are in fellowship with Jesus, we can show him to other people. It's really difficult, it's really difficult to show Jesus to a lost world when we act like they act. In fact, you can't share Jesus with people that you don't love first. You can't share Jesus with people that you don't be kind to first. You can't share Jesus with people if you don't act like Jesus before you talk about him. You see, the words and the actions have to match or it's of no effect. It's not, not the same thing as true of our children. You can teach them, but you better show them. You see, loving Jesus is more caught than it is taught. And it's more observed in those who look around. And that's what the world needs to see today. It's amazing how it has become kind of uh, cliquish, and I said this earlier, for people to deny God today. Atheism and agnosticism is on the rise. You talk to people about God and say, oh, I don't believe there's a God. And what's really sad it is among teenagers, 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds who aren't even old enough to know their left hand from the right and they're telling you they don't believe there's a God. Why is that? Because perhaps we're not showing them God. Perhaps we're not demonstrating to them the invisible God. And see, here's the truth. When we were lost, you couldn't see God. We were lost, we were in darkness. We couldn't see God. When we get saved, we think, how does everybody miss it, right? Once you get saved, you go, how, can, how is it you don't see that? Well, the, the truth is, just as God was revealed to us, so he needs to be revealed to others. And we're the instruments for that. Sadly, I think the world is moving away from God more and more in some part because we're not doing what we should be doing. Living out the invisible God so they can see him and then we can tell them about him. And then finally, the last thing I wanna show you, John said here that 
Jesus came into the world, that the Father sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. And that's important. Two reasons Jesus came into the world to be a Savior is because we needed him to. We can't save ourselves. We can't, we can't do what needs to be done. He did it on the cross. And secondly, Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. And that's what people need to understand. Jesus came to be Savior of the world. Now, I want to deal with two questions very quickly. If Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, what does he save us out of? And then what does he save us to? And I want to give you a list. I got to thinking about this this week and just started writing it down. I think you'll enjoy this. What did he save us out of and what did he save us to? Well, let's start with what did he save us out of? Well, number one, he saved us out of spiritual death. Before we were saved, we were spiritually dead. Everybody that comes into the world, every human being has eternal life. Everybody's gonna live either in heaven or hell forever. But having eternal life is not having life. Being lost in sin is to be spiritually dead. To go to hell is to be spiritually dead. It's spiritual death forever. What did Jesus do? He saved us out of spiritual death. Secondly, he saved us out of eternal judgment. God will judge all sin. He already has. And before we were saved, we were under God's judgment for our sin. But when we got saved, Jesus saved us out of judgment. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think it's Romans 8.1. So he saved us out of judgment. Number three, he saved us out of spiritual darkness, out of a lack of understanding and helped us to understand and see. Hey, he saved us out of sinful habits. When we're lost, we do what lost people do. We live in habitual sin. When we get saved, God saves us out of those habits and then the Holy Spirit empowers us not to live in those habits. Now you would understand and we all agree, there are some sins that eat our lunch. There are some things that we struggle with. Everybody has their own struggles, but God saves you from that and you don't have to live in it. And the Holy Spirit is strong enough to deliver you from it if you really want to be delivered from it. But he saved us out of sinful habits. Then he saved us out of fear and anxiety. You know why lost people typically are running around doing all the things they do? Because they're looking for something to fill that void in their life. They're looking for some joy or something to meet what they think they need. Jesus saved us out of that. He saved us out of that fear and anxiety and he met what we need in our life. Hey, Jesus saved us out of mistakes and bad choices, didn't he? You see, when you wanna make decisions in life, you can pray and ask God for guidance. He saved us out of mistakes and bad choices and he saved us out of defeat to daily sin. There's victory in Jesus and there's victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, okay, what did he save us to? Well, he saved us a spiritual life here and forever. We're gonna live with him forever in heaven. He saved us to full and eternal pardon of sin. Full and eternal pardon of sin, not partial, not just for now, but forever. He saved us to spiritual light. He saved us to obedience and freedom from the law. We don't obey God today because it's a legal thing. We obey him because we want to, because it's grace. And that's what the world sees. They look at us as Christians and go, why do you do what you do? And that's the question we want them to ask, because why? Then we can tell them about Jesus. God saved us not only out of sin, but he saved us to obedience. He saved us to a living hope, confidence, and joy. He, gave, he saved us to everlasting life in the family of God, and he saved us to an eternal relationship with him in heaven. Get to heaven one day, not only are you gonna be able to see God, but you get to hang out with him for eternity. That's pretty good. And he saved us to all that. Now, the last thing I want to show you, and we're going to close. There's a profession in verse 15. 
that looks like a doctrinal statement. Look at it and we'll close. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in him. Now, there's that word abide again, which sets this statement apart a little bit. To declare that Jesus is the Son of God, just to say that as a statement is nothing more than academics. But when we say it in a way that we abide in, in God and He in us, it means to have personified it. It means to have taken it on as a personal declaration. It means to say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and all that it means, that He died on the cross to pay for my sin, that He rose again the third day, and that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, and so you ask Him by faith to save you. That's what that statement means. And when we get saved, we abide in God and He abides in us, He dwells in us. One writer said it this way, this statement is a confession that results in a reception of new life, resulting in a commitment to obedience and trust. The commitment to obedience and trust is the evidence that the world sees of the invisible God that we serve. So to sum it up, what John has said in this passage is very apropos for us today. The world desperately needs to see Jesus Christ. The world desperately needs to know who God is. And they're not going to find God on their own. Nobody does. God's called us to be the example of the world of what he looks like. To show them the invisible God in the way we live. And the question is very simple. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Now, the right answer is some weeks we have to hang our head in shame and think, well, I've not been a very good example of God this week. And then some weeks we do better. But my commitment is, my commitment is, and my desire for us as a church is to be an example to this community and to the world of who Jesus is. Live it in front of them so they can see the invisible God. Be what God's called us to be. Do what he's asked us to do. Abstain from those things that we're convicted over. If God convicts you about habits in your life, get rid of them. Listen, if the Holy Spirit takes the time to convict us about things in our life that don't need to be there, get rid of them. It'll be better for us and a better testimony for him. I don't want to get off on another subject, but Christians today, you know what Christians today are too busy doing? Trying to figure out what they can get away with. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to figure out how to be holy and do what God wants us to do, they're all trying to figure out, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say I can't do that, so I'm going to do it. And the Bible doesn't say I can't do this, so I'm going to do it. Knock it off. Christianity is not about what I want to do. It's not about me. It's about showing the invisible God to a lost world and aligning my life with whatever the Holy Spirit convicts me to align it with. Move things out and put more of God in. Move these things out, put more of God in. That's the goal, not our Christian liberties. Well, here it is. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure if you're watching online? Do you know? You got the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. Do you know? If you're not sure, you already get saved today. Listen, there's a lot of things in life you can be unsure about. Don't know how much taxes I'm gonna owe at the end of the year, but I'm sure the government will tell me, no big deal, okay? <laughs> but don't be unsure about going to heaven. Don't be unsure about whether or not you have eternal life. If you're not sure, ask Jesus to save you today, right now, and get saved, okay? As we pray, you can do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage and. God, help us to be convicted about our testimony, that we be men and women who are surrendered to you, Lord, that we abide in you and you in us. That, God, you create in us that testimony that shows the world who you are. God, we fail you often. I do. I fail you, Lord, and I know that. And, God, I'm sorry, and I've asked you to forgive me each time I do it, Lord, but help us to be more conscious and more sensitive
to the things we say and do, Lord, that God, you be in control of our lives. Father, if there's somebody here on watching online or in this room and they've never prayed to receive Christ, I pray right now, Lord, in this moment, they would just stop and cry out to you and say, God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on a cross to pay for my sin. And God, right now, I confess my sin and ask you to save me. God, you'll save all who call. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I stand and sing. If I can pray with you or answer any questions, you come on the first verse. Change my heart, oh If you have kids, neighbors' kids, kids just walking down the road, ask them to come. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You'll get in trouble. Uh, ask them, invite them to come. Talk to their parents, invite them to come. Uh, teaching them the Bible, encouraging them, so invite them to come. Uh, we're in a series on Sunday night on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw how his interaction with Nicodemus, this religious leader, went. This week, area, both got saved. He dealt with both of them with the gospel, but in separate ways where they were. Interesting study. I invite you to come back tonight at six for that. Anything else? Let's pray. Father, give us a, a safe journey home. Bless your word to our heart, Lord, that we take it uh, and put shoe leather to it, Lord, that we do what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.